Well, I want to welcome you to the 1130 Assembly of the Hills Church at our North Richmond Hills campus. If you're watching online, so thankful that you have joined us. And you just heard about some awesome things we look forward to at our church. The men's conference is this week, followed shortly by the marriage conference, followed shortly by the thorn. So we have many things to look forward to, but I must begin by looking back. There's something that happened this week in our country, and don't pretend you didn't notice. Because it had us riveted and divided. And many celebrated, but many deeply grieved. I'm talking, of course, about last Sunday when the Packers beat the Cowboys <laughs> in the playoffs. And I am one of those who was deeply grieved. For 24 hours, I just obsessed about a silly football game. Now, why did they spike the ball at the end like that? Why didn't they give the ball to Zeke more? What about that terrible call? And I caught myself more than once thinking, why do I care that much? I won't even remember the score in a few months. But I know that about me. I can give major parts of my heart to minor concerns. And you can too. It may not be football. Some of you will spend hours watching television shows that talk about what famous people wear to awards shows that you will never go to. Some of you obsess. Over a show called The Bachelor, you need Jesus. <laughs> but we all do this. We give major space in our hearts to minor concerns. So I thought it might be good just to start the year looking at the Word of God to discern what really counts. We saw two weeks ago that suffering counts. James, the brother of Jesus, said, you can count on trials. So make your trials count. And then last time we saw that faith counts. That when God hears our amen of faith to his radical offer of grace in Christ Jesus, he counts us as righteous. That's why we don't have to fear the question, if you died tonight, do you think you would go to heaven? The answer is yes, because I'm not counting on my goodness. I am counting on the goodness of God who keeps his promises. But that raises a very good question. And I got it last week several times right after I preached. Because as people reflected on my message of the radical, scandalous enormity of the grace of God. And that we're saved not by trying to be good enough. But by trusting in his goodness. Some of you wondered. Well does it even matter. To try to be good. And I got the question in several forms. But basically it was this question. Does sin not count? Does it not matter how we live? Is holiness 
an unworthy goal. And those questions do not indicate that I got the gospel wrong last week. They tell me that I got the gospel right. That when the gospel of grace is preached in all of its radical scandalousness, the thought crosses your mind, well, does sin even matter anymore? I know that because Paul got the same question. We looked at Romans 4 last week, and in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, he just unpacks how God in his grace through Jesus Christ has offered us his righteousness. And the people that heard that thought the same thing that some of you thought. And Paul anticipated their question. So he starts off chapter 6 like this. Well, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? So that grace may increase. Paul says, I know what you're thinking. Well, if my sin just makes God's grace even more brilliant, why shouldn't I sin more so his grace will be even more magnified? That is always the chief criticism of the gospel of grace. And I have got it many times in my preaching. That if you preach salvation based on grace, people will start acting like sin doesn't count. You preach the gospel of grace and people will have a license to sin. By the way, it seems to me people are sinning pretty well without a license. But Paul would say, no. I would never say that disobedience to God's will is a minor concern. Just the opposite. Paul told the church in Corinth, keeping God's commands is what counts. But how do you motivate people to want to be holy and to pursue obedience? Paul would say, that isn't produced by an external focus on rules. It can only be produced by an internal passion And the best illustration I've ever come across to communicate that happened some years ago at a middle school in Oregon. And the young ladies were just beginning to experiment with wearing makeup. And they were going into the bathroom and they were putting on lipstick and they were kissing the mirror to leave lipstick prints on it. Even though there was a sign that said, don't do that. And the brilliant principal got all the girls into the bathroom with the custodian. And she said, now ladies, when you kiss the mirror, it is very hard to clean. And she turned to the custodian and said, would you please show the girls how hard it is to clean? So he took his squeegee and he dipped it a couple of times in the toilet and then he began to clean the mirrors. (laughs) And there had been no more issues with (laughs) lipstick on the mirrors because the motivation was no longer some rule from the outside, but it was coming from the inside. She gave them a picture that they would remember. And Paul did the same thing. He said, I want you to remember a picture. Do you think I'm saying because we're saved by grace that sin doesn't count? He says, by no means. 
We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So Paul would say, if you see a Christian acting like sin doesn't count, here's what you should tell them to do. Take your baptism into account. Because to live like it doesn't matter how we live is to reveal a very poor understanding of what actually happened when we got baptized. You see, baptism is a declaration that our relationship to our old life of sin is over. I like how verse 3 reads from the message. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. Paul says, holiness counts. Not because someone gave you a list of rules, but because you remember your new identity. You see, you didn't just turn over a new leaf. You actually received a new life when you united with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And with that new life comes new possibilities. Because the old captivities are now buried. And what I just said is so huge. And if you get what I just said, you will have a radical new passion for holiness. So let me unpack again what I just said. For if we have been united... With him in a death like his. Now, that's when you went under the water. And that's why we immerse at our church, because baptism is participating in and it's picturing a burial. Someone has died. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So when you came up out of that water, You were picturing and you were uniting to the resurrection of Jesus. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died had been set free from sin. You see, Paul is saying your participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus... Brought a liberation that you need to own and live into. In other words, your participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus is so much bigger than you might realize. To illustrate, you've probably seen that bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. My problem is that's just half the gospel. 
We're not just forgiven. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are just released. We participated in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and he died once for all to sin, and all of sin's claims, every claim sin had was satisfied for anybody that is united to that death. And so, if you broke a law and you went to jail, and you paid your debt to society, and every claim the law had on you was now resolved, would you stay in jail? Would you stay in prison when the law had no claim on you? Harry Houdini was the uh, well-known magician and escapologist. And he argued that he could get out of any prison cell in just one hour. All he asked is that you allow him to wear whatever clothes he wanted, not search him, and give him some privacy. So a little town in the British Isles took him up on the challenge. and said, we think we built a prison cell you can't escape from. So he went in. They closed the door. He pulled the tools out of his coat and he began to work on the lock. And he worked for that hour. And he worked even a second hour. And he could not get that lock to click. And finally frustrated, he put up his tools. He leaned against the door. And it flew wide open. Because they had tricked him. They had never locked the door. And that's a picture of many Christians. They are staying in that old cell they were in before Jesus. Even though now it's unlocked. Do we believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus is powerful enough To forgive sin. But it's not powerful enough to conquer sin. Did the death and resurrection of Jesus break all bondage? And are we in him or not? Paul says, death couldn't hold him. He paid the debt. The claim is settled. And he was raised from the dead. And because he got up, nothing has to hold you down anymore. And so Paul says, let's bring this home down to where we live, okay? Now, if we died with Christ, and we did, we believe That we will also live with him. And we can. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died. He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives. He now lives to God. And here it comes. Get ready. In the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin. But alive to God. In Christ Jesus. Now, back in chapter 4, God did the counting. We said amen to God's offer of grace through Jesus. He counted 
us as righteous. Now in chapter 6, we need to do the counting. We have been set free from that old life. We need to count this to be true. Because here's the reality. Something can be true and you not count it as true. When Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, legally slavery ended and all slaves were set free. But some did not accept their freedom. They didn't live into their freedom. They remained as slaves because they did not count as true what was actually true. So here's what Paul says. Count yourselves dead to sin. It's not enough that we've died to sin through our union with Christ. We must count it to be true to experience the victory. Because Satan wants you to feel like you still don't have any choice. But what Satan thinks doesn't count. At the end of World War II... uh, A colonel from the United States Army was sent to a prison camp in Japan. You see, that camp, for the past two years, had imprisoned General Jonathan Wainwright. And because he was a high-ranking Army official, he especially was constantly humiliated by the guards in the prison camp. General Wainwright got the news that the Japanese had surrendered. He went back to his old barracks, and two of the old guards started trying to harass him again. But he stood up and he said, No! The war is over. We have won. I'm in charge now. You don't give the orders anymore. I do. You've got to count that to be true about you. That slavery is not your identity. And so when that old master talks to you and says, I don't care what you did down there at that church. You were a drunk and you'll always be a drunk. You're a porn addict and nothing has changed. You're just a hot-tempered fool. And you always will be. You don't have to listen to the old master anymore. You have a new identity. Do you know the single word the New Testament uses for you more than any other word is the word saint it means you are set apart you are a holy person now it's not a case of mistaken identity when you united to the death and resurrection of jesus god declared you holy you are positionally holy and he's given you his holy spirit to help you practically start growing ever more into who you are now I'm not saying you will ever be sinless. I'm saying because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you can sin less. In fact, you should count on it. Because there is no brokenness or bondage that cannot be healed and released by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so... Maybe a better question than if you died tonight, do you think you would go to heaven, is this. And if you wake up tomorrow, 
What difference is your union to Jesus going to make in your life? Are you going to live the baptized life? And you say, what does that look like? I'm so glad you asked. Verse 12. Therefore, now you know that in the Bible when you read therefore, you ask, what's it therefore? So he's summing up all he just said. Therefore, because of this radical offer of grace through Jesus. Therefore, because you believed it. Therefore, because you got baptized to declare how much you believed it. Therefore, because you're united to the most powerful moment of history, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, because all sin's claims on you are satisfied. Therefore, because now sin has no right to tell you what to do anymore. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. But rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you're not under the law. You are under grace. Count it true. How do I do that? Well, first, you've got to refuse sin's offer. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to let Satan hang out on the premises anymore. Take your baptism seriously. Own it and live into it. And part of what that means is that you're going to stop practicing what I call the pet sin heresy. Let me explain. I meet so many Christians who justify a pet sin. I drink, but I don't get drunk very often. I, uh, I get angry a lot, but my kids get over it. I look at porn, but I don't cheat on my wife. You see, we all have this one part of our life where we think, hey, after all, we're saved by grace. I don't need to deal with my pet sin. Which is kind of like saying, you know, the doctor said I have malignancy. But I looked at the x-ray and it wasn't very big, so I'm not going to worry about it. Let me tell you why that's a problem. So, (laughs) I heard about a study released last year in the Journal for Applied and Environmental Microbiology, which we all take and read cover to cover, (laughs) about a study on the five-second rule. Now, every mom knows the five-second rule, right? You drop some food on the ground. As long as you pick it up in five seconds, you can still eat it, right? When we adopted our first son, Michael, if he dropped his pacifier, we would send it to the cleaners. (laughs) By the third child, if Matthew dropped his pacifier in the mud, we just stuck it back in his mouth and said, a little dirt's good for you. You came from the dust anyway. (laughs) 
So we all understand the five-second rule. Well, this scientist, Dr. Daniel Schaffner at Rutgers University, decided to study the five-second rule. So he picked four kinds of food and four different kinds of surfaces. And he would drop the food on those surfaces. And he would let it stay for one second, for five seconds, for 30 seconds, for 300 seconds. And he did this over 2,500 times. And every single time, even if it was just there for one second, the food was contaminated with bacteria. Now, yesterday I dropped my Snickers. (laughs) And I picked it up and ate it. And you say, yeah, you might get contaminated. Yeah, but I'll go with the Snickers in my heart and Jesus on my mind. (laughs) But the problem with sin is that it always contaminates. It always infects and it grows. It's malignant. Yeah, I look at porn, but only when I'm on a business trip. I like to drink, but I bet I don't get drunk more than twice a year. I don't sleep around, well, unless I think she's very special. What you're doing is listening to the old master. You're letting the old slave master tell you who to be. Why would we want to be resigned to sin when we can be released from it? Why do I want to have any part of my life where a slave master is calling the shots? Do not offer any part of your life to sin. Don't be bullied by the old master. You can say no. And God in the Holy Spirit will give you the courage and the strength. To own your baptism. And to start becoming the person. You're meant to be. But holiness is more than saying no. Count yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin. But offer yourselves to God. Offer every part of yourself to Him. As an instrument of righteousness. Offer what counts. Count yourself alive to God. You see, it's not just freedom from, it's freedom to. It's freedom to be who I was created to be. It's freedom to now be able to say yes to God. To be at His disposal, available for His mission. It's a life of saying yes to the offerings of God. But I have to decide every day, I will be an offering to God. That's why Paul would say later, here's what counts. Here's what God wants. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. And here's the irony. When you offer yourself as a sacrifice, you're going to be more alive than you've ever been. This came home to me in a personal way on Christmas Eve. We have three big services here at this campus in the afternoon. So I came up early in the morning to get ready. And I saw some men walking out of our building. I thought, who would have a meeting on Christmas Eve? And they walked past my car, and then one of them turned around. I didn't recognize him, but he recognized me. And he explained that these guys get together every week, and they help each other walk in freedom from their gambling addiction. And I thought, why wouldn't you take Christmas Eve off? And then I thought, no. How beautiful is that on the day that we celebrate? That God in radical mercy and grace sent Jesus to die and rise again. Not just so we could be forgiven, but so that we could be free. What a perfect day to celebrate and help someone else walk in freedom too. And then that guy, he literally, he got teary-eyed. He said, I just want to thank this church and I want to thank you for what you do and for what you preach. And he said, the last three years have been the best years of my life. Holiness didn't restrict him. It released him. Grace doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want to do. Grace means you are free to become who you were created to be. So offer your life to God. Not to sin. It might look like this. I've invited every service this week to do this with me. For one week, just for one week. What if we got up in the morning and we literally offered every part of ourselves to God? Lord, today I offer you my legs. Now, before I knew Jesus, my legs took me some places I had no business being, but not today. Today, God, if you show me where I need to be, these legs will get me there. And I offer you my hands. Maybe I could hug somebody. Maybe I could help somebody. But today, these hands are yours. And I offer you my ears. Now, God, I repent that I've let some filth into my ears before, but not today. Today, only what is holy and pure comes into my ears. And I offer you my eyes today, God. No more looking at that which is shameful and vulgar. Today, I focus on what is pure. And I look, I look for Jesus in the people that I see. I offer you my mouth. I have used this mouth to curse, to lie, to gossip, to scream. Not today. Today, what comes out of this mouth is going to encourage people. Today, this mouth is going to speak hope. It's going to speak about Jesus. I offer my heart. I don't want there to be any space in my heart where Jesus isn't welcome. What would happen if as a community of faith... Just for one week, every day, 
We just offered ourselves to God. Because here's what I know. You're not going to remember the scores of football games. Or who won some TV show. But the world is going to remember the impact of a life that gave major space in the heart to what counts. So would you bow your head? I'll finish the prayer, but I'd like you to start it. I'd like you to do what I just suggested. Pick one part of your body. Maybe the part that you have the hardest part surrendering. Just pick one part of your body right now. Offer it to God. Oh God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that every time we see somebody get baptized, we're taken back to that powerful moment that changed everything. When he died and was buried and rose again. And he said to every slave master, no more. These are mine. And I have set them free. So God, help us to own our baptism. Help us to walk in freedom. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.